Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. from Jerusalem. This is Middle East Review of uh, TV7 with me, my good friend and colleague, Dr. Aaron um, Lerman, also an intelligent colonel uh, in reserve and uh, one of the best pundits on uh, international, uh, regional, and uh, Israeli affairs. So you're welcome. I am Danny Ayalon, and um, we'll jump right from the end of our last uh, show, last uh, month. We ended in a little euphoric way when we had the summit of the Negev, where four ministers of foreign affairs of Arabs, together with Blinken, the American Secretary of State, and Yair Lapid, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Israel, were actually signing the Negev uh, Declaration, which uh, was really uh, symbolizing the new Middle East, uh, maybe putting together a vision of um, a new era with security, stability, cooperation, uh, technological uh, share. And we know that we have a lot of um, challenges in the region, uh, food security, water availability, affordable energy, and many, many, many other ways. Forward-looking, but... Only a uh, month later, and we are crashed again uh, you know, um, on the, um, I would say, uh, horns of uh, reality, where we have had uh, 15 Israelis, uh, innocent Israelis, killed by brutal and uh, senseless uh, Palestinian uh, terror. We saw it in uh, four cities. Some of them were Arab Israelis, uh, the, the others were uh, Palestinians, uh, Hamas probably, or Islamic Jihad, Islamists. And within this, we are still now living in a very, very sensitive time, which is the convergence of Ramadan and Passover, and also in a little bit uh, the Christian uh, Easter. Everybody's converging on the Temple Mount, and we see the riots. We see also the incitements. So, Iran, do we have hope for a new Middle East, or is it same old, same old? Well, I think the foundational elements are still there. And the, the reasons that drove Egypt uh, to change completely its attitude towards normalization with Israel on a whole range of issues, and uh, to actually welcome normalization between Israel and other Arab countries the reasons that drove the Moroccan-Israeli relationship, and certainly the Israeli-Gulf relationship, and the, uh, uh, the peace treaty with Jordan, which is holding despite all the challenges. All of these are grounded in very deep national interests of all involved. However, elements in the region, the Iranians in their own way, their proxy Palestinian Islamic Jihad, um, elements associated with, da with uh, Daesh 
uh, Islamist uh, radicalism, Islamic State, to some extent inspired by the collapse of uh, the American position in Afghanistan and the idea that here is uh, an alternative way of Islamic uh, challenge. And the frustration of, I would say, uh, many Palestinians, young and old, looking at how the Arab world has turned its back on them. And they and, and they, here they can latch on to Jerusalem as a as a focal point, as a way of uh, uh, lighting a fire under the feet of those who normalize with Israel. All of these have driven the kind of uh, of challenges that we've been facing in the last few weeks. Um, the government is trying to walk a very, uh, uh, I would say, a thin line between underreacting and overreacting. And things are complicated also because the Israeli political situation has become more fragile uh, with the uh, crisis within the right-wing uh, edge end of the governing coalition, which threatens to bring the government down. So put all of these to end, and the temptation for some elements in the uh, radical right in Israel to push for provocations that would uh, destabilize the government even further. Put all of these together into the mix and you get an unpleasant brew. Uh, but it doesn't, I don't believe it alters the foundational elements. So uh, you see President Sisi, for example, sending his son, not necessarily the heir apparent, not, I, I think Sisi has learned a lesson from what happened to Mubarak in this respect. But certainly... And his son Gamal, yeah. Yeah, when, when Mubarak, uh, the Egyptians called it Jamlaka, a republic that becomes a Mamlaka, Jumhurea becoming a Mamlaka, a, a kingdom. But uh, I don't think he is aiming for this kind of succession, but he's certainly sending to Israel somebody who... Israel will recognize as speaking for uh, in his father's voice. And um, this kind of the involvement, this kind of gesture to try and calm down, bring down the, uh, the, the level of tension to prevent uh, an eruption in Gaza, uh, I think these, this comes from a very deep uh, abiding Egyptian interest. And the same is certainly true for the Gulf and, and for the Moroccans. So Yeah, well, we, we'll turn to Gaza in, in, a, in a little bit, uh, especially in a technological way. It's not the usual uh, thing to uh, think about uh, Gaza and technology, but in a little bit. But before that, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the crux of the issue, is the lightning rod. And uh, it seems like the Palestinians keep Jerusalem and they can take it out as they wish in order to destabilize. And certainly they are very frustrated when they are really sidelined by the entire world, especially also the, the Arab world. And it seems like as their wish, they just take it out. I don't think it's the uh, uh, interest necessarily of uh, Abu Mazen and the Palestinian Authority who are just rapidly losing con control in, in area A and, and B. But the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas the Israeli Islamic movements, they use it as a unifying uh, cry, also uh, not only just to destabilize or, or kill Jews, but also to unify the three camps of Palestinians, whether it's in Gaza and the West Bank and the Israeli uh, Palestinians. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's very easy for them to, to succeed. And I go back to uh, Camp David 2000, where Ehud Barak as prime minister was trying to really solve uh, and, and get, I mean, solve the conflict and get into a uh, real uh, final 
final uh, uh, settlement, and the, the crux was again Jerusalem, not just Jerusalem, but Temple, Mount. Temple Mount. I remember when, and, and you know it, Iran, when uh, it came to Jerusalem, that Barak, even uh, Ehud Barak, even surprised his own staff, his own advisors, when he said, okay, let's divide Jerusalem. And he said, you know, in a very logical way, the, uh, the Jewish neighborhoods will be under Israeli sovereignty, the Arab under uh, Palestinian. We have two capital cities, but then, of course, what do you do with the basin, you know, with the, uh, the holy, <laughs> holy basin. basin? And then Barak, as he is, you know, very anal, very, uh, um, let's say, mathematical, he said, well, we'll just split sovereignty, but we will not split it, you know, uh, in a lateral way, but in a, uh, in a vertical yeah. way. And he said, you know, uh, you, the, Pal- the, the mosque, you know, Al-Aqsa Mosque is on top of the mountain. We're not going to hurt it. We're not going to touch it, despite all the attempts and the fake news and the lies as the Islamists are spreading. Uh, so you will have uh, sovereignty over the top of the mountain, but we, you know, all our history is buried down there. We'll be uh, sovereign, sovereign under, under And we, Arafat wouldn't hear of it. And you see how this Jerusalem and this Temple Mount is keep being used by uh, all these Islamist uh, elements to destabilize at their will, which again shows me that Arafat never wanted any peace or any uh, peaceful coexistence, and they keep this issue uh, to try to uh, to to change or uh, convert the national conflict into a religious one, which is very 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 uh, difficult. An, an old tradition, uh, Hajjamil Husseini, who later became a Nazi. Uh, Collaborator. Uh, collaborator, ally of Hitler, but he was the leader of the Palestinian people in the 20s, 30s, and uh, he he is responsible for having gilded with uh, the 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 dome, dome of the rock, in order to turn it. It wasn't gold in the early 20th century. Uh, to turn it into a symbol. And I think he's buried there, or some of his family members. Some of his family members, and actually also the most famous act of murder uh, carried by his uh, uh, disciples, the the assassination of King Abdullah of Jordan uh, in 50, uh, was was also carried out on the Temple Mount. Great-grandfather of of Abdullah II. Now, uh, so the Palestine, the, the, this transformation of Jerusalem into a tool of uh, of mobilization is not new. Uh, I would say that uh, while Israel as a nation, as a state, uh, the government, the police, and, and I, I was involved in, in man, you know, managing this on a daily basis in my years in the National Security Council, uh, has been very, very strict in the application of the so-called status quo trying to adhere to it uh, quite carefully, preventing, for example, any Jew from exercising their natural right to pray on the Temple Mount because it would have uh, political consequences. It's, very, it's not simple because legally um, it is the right of any human being to, to express uh, their religious feelings, but uh, uh, the government of Israel prevents Jews from doing it in the holiest place in, in Jewish history. Why? Because of this uh, uh, adherence, strategic adherence to the status quo. However, on the Muslim side, there's been an erosion. Um, even I was, they are defiling 
uh, their mosques in the effort to, uh, to, to fight against the, any sign of Jewish presence. They're bringing rocks. They come in with their shoes. They're even, acting even in, a, uh, in a manner disrespectful. Molotov, yeah, Molotov cocktails. They disrespect their own holy place uh, as part of their struggle. But there are also elements on the Israeli side, not the government, but in the far edges of the messianic uh, elements within uh, relig modern religious Zionism, there are people who fantasize about a return to the sacrifices. And in the world in which we live, where two uh, uh, goats in the back of a, a pickup truck uh, can go viral in the, uh, in, in the uh, social networks and ignite a firestorm on the Arab side as if this is Israel, the government of Israel, and not three um, slightly unhinged young individuals from somewhere uh, who's pushing uh, for this kind of uh, return to, uh, uh, to Jewish uh, sacrifice. The whole thing uh, it requires a uh, tremendous level of care and from time to time, the use of, uh, of authoritative force against radicals and provocateurs from both sides. And here, and I must give some uh, good marks, kudos to the Israeli government, who has been very, very, I would say, uh, uh, strict but sensitive at the same time and really being very nuanced, not like years past when they would have a blockade, you know, uh, that no Palestinians would come to work, which would, of course, turn more um, animosity. But uh, now they're doing it uh, more kind of in a, a surgical way. Uh, the capacity to do so rests on a very solid base of, of intelligence, yeah, very penetrating absolutely. and very, you know, e even when we did have a catastrophic failure uh, a few months ago with the escape of three of six um, terrorists uh, from a secure uh, jail in Israel. The, the jail authority, security, yeah. the jail authority uh, was certainly a mess there. But the intelligence tracing of these, each and every one of them within a few weeks, in each and every one of them was apprehended. So you, you get a sense of just how deep the intelligence penetration is. The failure sometimes comes within Israeli Arab society because these are citizens. They enjoy uh, uh, the, the citizens' rights. And the uh, in, encroaching of ideas from IS, ISIL, Islamic State in the Iraq and the Levant, Daesh, uh, into uh, segments of Israeli society was not apparently not as well monitored as it should have been. But this can be very quickly and will be very quickly corrected. And then, of course, we know that uh, also their attempt of the Palestinian uh, nationalists and uh, terrorists and Islamists is also to try and hurt as much as possible Israel's uh, relationship with its neighbors, with the Arab countries. And we saw the response of Jordan, especially uh, al uh, Saunea, the, the prime minister, which was uh, actually very insightful, actually blessing the hands of those who... Inciting. Inciting, yeah, throwing uh, rocks uh, in the Temple Mount. Uh, of course, Egypt has a more moderated response, as well as Morocco and the Gulf countries. What is it uh, in Jordan that provoked such a very, very um, tough Great. response? 
Well, the Jordanians find themselves between a, whole, uh, a rock and a hard place. Uh, the majority of the people living under King Abdullah's rule are of Palestinian origin. Many of them are mo- uh, inspired by the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, if you look at public opinion polls in Jordan, you'll see a level of hostility towards Jews. Not, I'm not talking about Israel which is scary. At the same time, the government fully understands its strategic dependency upon Israel. It it sustains the ongoing economic relationship. It's getting uh, gas to Jordan is coming from Israel. Uh, There are various other uh, cooperative ventures. And most significantly, the Jordanian position in Jerusalem is based on on Article 9 of the Israeli-Jordanian Peace Treaty. The Jordanians know very well that if Israel would ever concede control of the Temple Mount uh, to the Palestinians, they would be ejected from all, whatever Abu Mazen has promised King Abdullah would not hold for uh, an hour. They would be ejected from all uh, authority, all responsibility for this uh, place, which is the third in its level of uh, holiness in the Muslim tradition. And the main element of the legitimacy of the Hashemites. The Hashemites used to be the holders of the of Mecca and Medina for some hundreds and hundreds of years. Until they were kicked out. Until by... they were kicked out by the Saudis in 1925. So the loss of that element of legitimacy was to some extent compensated by by the Jordanian position in Jerusalem. They held. Uh, they were sovereign of sorts, recognized by only two countries in the world, by the way, Pakistan and Britain, as, as sovereign in East Jerusalem until 67. But their position has been, to some extent, sustained through their custodianship of the waqf, of the religious management of the site, and, uh, and actually, um, as I said, um, gave, was given a formal sanction by the Israeli-Jordanian peace treaty. So now they have to show the Arab world that they are not Israel's collaborators. At the same time, they have no interest whatsoever in any change in the status quo, because that would be detrimental. Either if it's in Israel's direction, it would be detrimental because it could ignite their people. And if it's in the Palestinians' favor, it could mean the loss of their position. So what they are, they are using this kind of unpleasant rhetoric, which is which Israel legitimately responded to sharply, but they're using it in order to sustain their hold uh, on, uh, on on what's left of their authority. Yes. Well, there is a tacit understanding of you know you do what you need to do, we say what we have to say, and of course the strategic relationship is much more important. Without it, Jordan would have no water. Uh, maybe not even energy. So it's a uh, and security, of course, and trade. Because and trade. Uh, given what happened to Syria, uh, Haifa has become the main port of trade for for Jordan and points beyond Jordan or through Jordan right, right. with Turkey and the Eastern Mediterranean. And then it is um, amazing the ease that um, 
that the Palestinians, especially Hamas or Islamic Jihad in Gaza, can really flare up the area, you know, really proving that we are sitting on a tinderbox. And uh, we just saw a, a missile that was probably fired last night by the uh, Islamic Jihad. It was intercepted, which is, uh, of course, uh, allowed Israel to respond in a way that uh, took only material uh, assets and not uh, more than that. And hopefully this uh, this uh, event is, is contained. But... I, I promised our viewers to talk about uh, uh, technology in Gaza. And um, I was very happy, and I'm sure many uh, in the Western world, to see the success of the Israeli military experiment with laser guns and laser technology, which could be an amazing thing to, um, to intercept uh, ballistic missiles in a cheap way, in a more effective way, which can not only save a lot of lives, but also strategically, it can make the area more uh, stable and probably can be used in other areas as well, maybe even the Ukraine. Well, um, it was nearly 40 years ago, actually 39 years ago, that the Reagan administration asked the government of Israel to join the strategic defense initiative popularly known as Star Wars. The idea that the strategic uh, nuclear balance could actually be uh, upheld rather than uh, degraded by adding a layer of defense capabilities. This was highly controversial at the time. There were many people who feared that this would actually lead to a, a window of opportunity and uh, the Soviets would jump through it. There was there were people in the um, American, uh, in Congress, for example, who were quite uh, uh, worried about this idea. And, uh, and so asking Israel to come on board was a political element uh, in, uh, for, the, for the Reagan administration. But um, Israel gave it a long, long hard uh, look and decided to come on board. And lo and behold, we ended up being the first country in the world with deployed anti-missile systems fired in anger, uh, Iron Dome, and and, of course, and also uh, the, the whole arrow range, and by now we have a middle range. So layer upon layer. Right back then already in the 1980s, there was talk about laser defenses. Uh, Boeing were looking at uh, airborne laser beams that would shoot down ballistic missiles on the way to the U.S. Uh, in, in a nuclear exchange. Um, but none of this uh, came to fruition in, as, as battle-worthy systems, and it looks as if Israel is now making the, the breakthrough. And uh, that definitely positions us in, uh, against the background of what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. As uh, once again, uh, the, first, the first around the bend on, on, on uh, highly relevant military technology. Which is so important. You know, we talk about the importance of technology in terms of food uh, security and, and just uh, livelihood. But also, I guess it's very, very important also to avert wars and uh, or to minimize uh, casualties. And here again, Israel is at the forefront. Um, and this is also one of the reasons that um, the United States is so much backing Israel, because we are a real asset for the United States, not only strategically, not only because of the shared value and, democ uh, and, and democracy, but also technology, which the Americans use. I remember in Washington, it was in the wake of the Nautilus uh, experiment in the uh, deserts of uh, Nevada, 
And at that time, was the Nautilus was also a, a laser gun, which was supposed to uh, intercept incoming uh, ballistic missiles. And this uh, uh, was scrapped. The project was scrapped because it was too expensive. And also, in order to power the laser gun, they needed so much power, you know, a, uh, a battery, which would, was on the, in the size of two buildings, mm-hmm. just the battery, and it wouldn't be um, mobile, was very, very difficult. So here we have about 20 years later, and we see that uh, technology has changed. And again, uh, Israel is leading the way, and uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic because this will deny the, the extremists, the radical Islamists in Gaza, a very, very powerful uh, weapon, which at, at their will, they can destabilize. And of course, it will be against Iranians' interests because it is the Iranian, and we always have to remember the Ayatollahs, the radical Shia Islamists in uh, Tehran, which are always fueling, whether it's uh, jihad, uh, Islamic jihad, or Hamas, or anyone else, or Hezbollah, of course, against all the uh, moderate uh, regimes in, in the region. Uh, we cannot uh, forget uh, Iran, and uh, we uh, are still waiting to see any outcome in Vienna with the uh, well, nuclear agreement. It looks stuck. Uh, the Biden administration, or at the highest political level, probably came to the conclusion that it's simply not viable politically in, 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 in Washington to um, delist a terrorist organization such as the IRGC Al-Quds Force. They may have been offering the Iranian the option of delisting the IRGC and keep, but but relisting the uh, just the the foreign operations are El Quds. I'm not sure there are takers in Tehran. The Iranians have grown very arrogant uh, in terms of the attitude towards what the Americans are putting on the table, and so we may look at the uh, eventual collapse of of this effort. Um, there was always the, the possibility that the Iranians will not fully appreciate uh, the risks that they would be running if they allow this uh, to collapse because the, the mood in Washington is shifting. Uh, the awareness of security dangers, the understanding that the world is a dangerous place and allowing uh, rogue regimes, whether this is Moscow or Tehran, um, to... Uh, to have the run of the place is a very costly mistake. Mm-hmm. No, and so uh, we may face very dramatic developments. Uh, in Israel, they, this comes under the very innocuous name, Plan B. Uh, but and, but uh, our defense minister, uh, Benny Gantz, has already spoken of the need to start focusing our minds on a mm-hmm. Plan B. Mm-hmm. And this could be very dramatic. And if if that comes into play at some point, the capacity of Iran's proxy, Hezbollah, to fire massive amounts of rockets at Israel, if it can be to some extent, uh, let's say, uh, restrained, not completely prevented, but, uh, uh, but degraded uh, by Israeli technology, that's a very important part. Another thing is that Lebanon is falling apart economically. That may also uh, hold the hand yeah. of Hezbollah. Yeah, and uh, also it's um, we have to remember the complication uh, with uh, Russia, who uh, doesn't want to join the deal, you know, the uh, continuation, the second JCPOA, if they were not exempted from uh, the, the sanctions, you know, vis-a-vis uh, Iran. 
but uh, it and is. And they don't want to see Iranian oil on the market. Well, absolutely. At this, also, at this point. Absolutely. So things continue to be complicated. It seems to uh, yet to be seen where it's, it's very critical for Israel's security in the region, uh, what will happen in Vienna, if at all. And uh, until then, hopefully we'll know more in the next uh, program of Middle East Review. And until then, thank you very much to all our viewers from Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.